Good morning. How's it going? Good. My name's Tim. If I haven't met before, I get to serve here uh, as teaching pastor on a really wonderful team. Uh, so, a couple, oh, month or so back, my, my, one of my daughters got to go see sound, the Sound of Music musical and had a great time, but it kind of, the you know the song, Favorite Things, Brown Paper Packages, that, so that was in my head, so I wanted to share some of my favorite things with you this morning, and when I'm doing this, uh, be thinking about what, maybe what your favorite things are, um, and now, I'm not such a, you know, brown paper packages are fine, but um, here's some of, some of my favorite things, uh, we've got, let's see, Moleskin Journal, Anybody fan of those? Few, yeah. And uh, with the Moleskin Journal, I need to have my precise V5 Rolling Ball Extra Fine pen. There's like a good pen on a new journal. There's something about that, like that first page. What's going to happen in these pages? So you know, I write just kind of write my what's going on in my life, processing prayers in here. Uh, I've journaled for years. Um, Here's, I had to bring a picture of my family, favorite things. Here's my family, myself, my wife, my three girls. They're all dressed up in princess uh, attire. And I, and I have a suit on there. That's our fancy family picture. And then kind of along, there's like a symbiotic relationship between my family and then my love of coffee. Um, so here's my Zojirushi um, stainless steel vacuum coffee mug. Uh, James Jr. recommended this fantastic um, uh, coffee thermos there. A couple more things I want to show you, too. Here we go. All right. Yeah. So I've got, these are some old um, soccer cleats, but they're favorites of mine. Kelme Millennia Kangaroo Leather. Thank God for that kangaroo. Um, these fit like a glove. These are actually, wore these my senior year in college, and now i got to hide them so Christy can't find where they are because they might disappear. But they're just, you know, they're, yeah, I love to play soccer. And then um, these are my backcountry skis, Dina Fit bindings, really light, uh, so you can just go anywhere back in the mountains and love, no, stay away from these damn, yeah, uh, love these skis. So um, those are just some of my, and of course, you know, it's not so much about the given things, but it's like, it's what they represent, right? It represents different parts of my life that I love, that, you know, really life-giving, important to me. Um, yeah. What, so just for, maybe even just shout out. If you had to name a couple of your favorite things, shout out a couple things that would be on your list. Bike? Camera? Chinchillas? What did I hear in back? Cats, wife, books, knitting, yeah. Coffee, thank you, a second on coffee. Cool, shop, you say shopping? Your shop, very different. <laughs> very different, yeah. I want, you caught me off guard there, little Victor, with shopping. <laughs> but you know, I don't judge, yeah. Um. But we have, you know, we all, we, I'm sure we could all say, hey, these are my, some of my favorite, can they represent some of our favorite, some of just really important, different aspects of our life that are life and important to us? Well, question, what, how, how, how does God, how does God relate to all these different parts of our life? 
is God indifferent to some of them? Are some of them like really, like my prayer journal, is that like really valuable to God, but then soccer is a distraction from God? Or is he just kind of, you know, somewhat, you know, maybe he's, it's not he's against them, but some he really likes, like the prayer and family, but then the other parts, he's, they're just kind of, he's, it, God's absent from those. How does God relate to all these different parts of our lives? Or, or could there be better news, something better to be said about how God relates to all these different aspects of our lives? I want to invite us to begin this morning in Genesis chapter 1. Uh, if you want to turn in your Bibles, Genesis 1, Genesis is the first book in your Bible, way to the left, uh, Genesis 1, and we're going to start in verse 28. <clears throat> and what we're picking up here, uh, the, the story of Genesis 1, God has created the sun, moon, and stars, he's created the earth, he's created the seas, he's created the, the birds and the fish and the animals, he's created trees and all living things, and then he's created man and woman. And what we're going to read, the first, the very first thing God ever speaks to humanity, the first words God ever speaks to man and woman, the first instructions to man and woman after they've been created is what we're about to read. Genesis 1, 28, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. First thing God ever says, be fruitful and increase in number. Now, we know how this works, don't we? Yes? Be fruit, the first, welcome to existence. Now go make babies. Right? That's what, welcome to, now be fruitful, increase and fill the earth. That's the first thing God says. Then he says, subdue and rule this world. What kind of language is this in the ancient Near East? Subduing and ruling. It's royal language. It's kingship language. God says, I am the, I am the king over all this, but I want you to be sub-rulers beneath me. This is caretaker, being in charge language. Shape this world. So the first God, the first thing God says, make babies and take care of this place. Be fruitful and increase in number, because it's going to take more than two of you if you're really going to rule this place well. Now, what of these first words from God to humanity, which of them, what of them are spiritual or religious? I mean, it's interesting, right? Like the first thing God says to humanity, it's nothing about temples or churches. It's not about prayer or sacrifices. The first thing God says to humankind, be fruitful, increase in number, and take care of this place. Fill it up. Shape it. And then at the end, just a couple of verses down, verse 31, God summarizes. He's, he's created this place. He's put man and woman there. He says, be fruitful, increase, rule over this place like sub-rulers. And then verse 31, God sums it all up. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. Tov me'od. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. This idea that, um, that, uh, that, that men and women, that humanity is called to fill up to unlock all the potential of this world. Theologians talk about this as the great cultural mandate. 
And they, they, they talk about it in terms of that in this, this, where God says, be fruitful and rule this place, it means it's God calling people to fill the world with families and societies and cities and villages and, and with buildings and with architecture and with music and with art and with literature and with businesses and with science and with medicine. Un- fill this, unlock all the creative potential, shape this world in all the different ways that reflect my image. Now, I'm curious for you to reflect for a moment, how much of your vision of life, how much does it line up with the vision of life in Genesis 1? When you think this, 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 this initial call of God on men and women, how much does your vision of life line up with that? I, uh, I was listening to a Christian radio station the other day, and a song came on. And I want to I read to you the chorus. I'm not going to sing it. I uh, wouldn't subject you to that. The chorus went like this. All I know is I'm not home yet. This is not where I belong. Take this world and give me Jesus. This is not where I belong. Now, there's different ways you could interpret those words, but I think at least one of the ways is the kind of a straightforward, like this place is not where we're supposed to be. We're meant to be in some other place, maybe some other place where Jesus is, and that somehow this place and wherever Jesus is are antagonistic. They're, 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 mutual, they're opposite, so we have to choose between them. And so I wonder to myself, is this true? Is that true? Is it true that this, this isn't where we're, we're supposed to be in some other place and, that, that, and choose, we have to choose between this place and where Jesus is? Is that the case? We're starting a, a series of teachings this week. We're going to carry it on for four, four or five weeks, something. And, uh, and we're calling the series Matter Matters. Because we believe, as seen in Genesis 1 and throughout the rest of the story of Scripture, that this place matters to God. Physicality, the materiality here and now matters to God. We're going to talk about this place matters to God. We're going to talk about science matters and art matters and work matters because we believe prayer matters. We also believe good conversation matters. We believe worship matters. We also believe feasting with friends matters. We believe science and medicine and church, they all matter that God cares about this place. In the early, um, the early years of uh, the Jesus movement, in the first few centuries, there were a number of kind of threats to the early Jesus movement. And one of them, of course, was uh, persecution from the Roman Empire. Uh, and then there was also there were kind of other threats where uh, the, the, the Roman pantheon of gods, Zeus and those other gods, and people being drawn away to those. But one of, the, one of the largest threats wasn't actually persecution or the Roman pantheon of gods. One of the largest threats to the early Jesus movement was this, this philosophy called Gnosticism. Have you heard of Gnosticism before? It starts with a silent G, Gnosticism, Gnosticism. Everybody say Gnosticism. And Gnosticism, uh, it, it's not so much a single definable movement. It's more of a, a kind of a general philosophy, and there is a number of, of, of ideas that fit under there. But as kind of an umbrella term, the, the central idea to Gnosticism was this, that matter, physicality, physical stuff, is evil it's bad 
this physical world is bad, the spiritual is good. And so what, what occurred is this Gnosticism, uh, it, was, it would begin to infect the Christian church. And it, and it moved into Christianity in different ways. And, um, and when, when people began uh, affirming some of the Gnostic ideas, there was a number of other ideas that fell out from there. So they began with this idea of matter is bad, matter is evil. And then after that, they thought, so whoever, whatever being created this place, that being must be evil. And so that means the God of the Hebrew Scriptures must be an evil being, and not the same God as the God of the New Testament. So we don't like the God of the Hebrew Scriptures. We do like the God of the New Testament. So they said that. And then they said, if, if matter is evil, well then, the Jesus, who came from the real God, he couldn't have really been human with a real human body. He must have just, it must have been an illusion. He just seemed to have a body. He, he, had, he had a fake body. He was kind of magical, tricky trickster Jesus. He, didn't, he wasn't really human. And, and in fact, the, the, so the, the God of the Hebrew Scriptures is bad. Jesus didn't really have a body. And the end game, the, the, way, the way history ends, it's not resurrection and renewed heaven and earth. The, the hope for us is to escape. We need to escape this physical place to a higher spiritual realm. And that meant for our lives here and now, our, the way we live is our bodies are bad. These are the problem. And our bodies, so, so some Gnostics, some Gnostics, would, they'd abuse their bodies. Extreme asceticism, extreme fasting. Um, some of them who are married would leave their marriages. Some of them who are married stay in their marriages, but they never have sex. They kind of deny their bodies altogether. Because they would say, well, really, I'm just, my soul is my real me, and this body is just the problem. My soul is driving around. Others of them would just indulge their bodies. What I do in the body doesn't really matter, so I'm going to just indulge my body in any way I want. Why, why talk about this? Why is this important? Because we're living beings. Well, because I think, I don't think it's gone yet. I think some of this way of thinking still exists. Have you ever encountered anyone who, ha- who says, well, I don't really like the God of the Old Testament. I have problems with the God of the Old Testament, but I really like the God of the New Testament. Have you ever encountered anyone with a vision of Jesus where Jesus wasn't really, truly human? Jesus was kind of superhuman, floating above the problems of everyday life. As a baby, no crying he makes. As a toddler, he didn't need to learn things. As an adult, he would never trip over his robe or have body odor. He wasn't really human. Have you, ever, have you ever encountered anybody who, who their vision of the end, their, vision, their hope for the future is to escape this place, escape this world and go to a higher spiritual plane? Have you ever encountered anybody who, who uh, their, their idea of what it means to get closer to God is to do more and more spiritual, quote-unquote spiritual and religious things because God must not care about those other parts of life? Have you ever met anybody who, who they thought to get closer to God is to do more and more extreme spiritual things? Or have you ever met anybody who, who um, when they enjoyed uh, kind of the materiality of this world, when they enjoyed, uh, when they enjoyed uh, feasting with friends, when they enjoyed dance, when they enjoyed being creation, they actually they felt some guilt about the very act of enjoying it? Because I don't think this is totally gone yet. The... Uh, the early Jesus thinkers, when they're when they wrestling through this, one of the things they did 
is they kind of they created this summary of the faith. They said, we're going to create a summary of what we as Jesus people, how we see the world, how we believe God has, has revealed to us who he is and how the world really works. And they created this summary called the Apostles' Creed. Not Apollo Creed, Apostles' Creed. I, what, I, what I'd like us to do, this is what we're going to do. I'd like us to read this Apostles' Creed together. It goes back to the early, early centuries of the Jesus movement. And I want us to read this. And when you hear it, I want you to pay particular attention to how would this Gnostic movement have heard the, this summary of the Jesus movement? What would have stuck out if you were immersed in Gnosticism? So listen for that. Let's stand together and we're going to read this out loud. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father and will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. All right, you can take a seat. So I think there, there, uh, there are three things, three words or phrases that would have particularly stuck out where, where people, where, where the followers of Jesus were saying, no, Scripture leads us in a different direction than Gnosticism. Three things. One in each kind of stanza. First thing that I think would have stung out is the word creator. The true God is the creator of this place. He made this place and called it very good. The second thing that would have stuck out is the idea of that the Son of God was born into this world. Today, it's interesting. Today, I think we hear the phrase, born of the Virgin Mary, and, and, and people in the modern world get stuck on the word virgin. A virgin can't have a child. That's impossible. But back then, people would have got stuck on the word born. The supreme being of all would never be born, would never bind himself to materiality in the physical world. That's impossible. So creator, born, and then the last word is resurrection. The idea that we are resurrected, we are, we are embodied beings pulled out the other side of death, free of death and decay. These three ideas, creation, incarnation, and redemption or resurrection, are about God's commitment to this place and to our bodies. I want to invite you now to turn to 1 John 1. It's way to the right in your Bible. It's going to be after 2 Peter and before Second John, this, what we're going to read is uh, John was a friend of Jesus. He was a follower of Jesus. And um, in the, the, the early centuries, uh, or the, the first decades after Jesus was resurrected and ascended to heaven, John was a leader, and he was writing a letter to a Jesus community here. And in First John 1, he says this. He says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. 
the word of life there is a stand-in for Son of God or, or Jesus the Messiah. So he's saying, he's saying I, I, I heard Jesus. I saw Jesus. I touched Jesus. And that is what I'm proclaiming to you. When, when Christians talk about the incarnation, when Christians talk about the Son of God becoming a human, we'll talk about that God bound himself to humanity. God took on, took humanity upon himself. God entered into humanity. And that's, that's true. But I think there's an even more basic idea that we can get at underneath that. That in the incarnation, God bound himself to materiality, to matter. God took on matter. God indwelt hydrogen and oxygen, calcium and carbon, nitrogen and phosphorus. God, God bound himself to protons, electrons, and neutrons. God entered into the physical. And so John could say, John could say, through texture and touch, through color and form, through sound waves, through rhythm and melody, I have encountered the divine. I think, I think when we hear these words, we see a clear line being drawn. No, no, the Gnostics are, matter is not evil. Scripture leads us to a view that matter is good. God created it, called it very good. God bound it, God indwelt it. He bound himself to it. Therefore, the God of the Hebrew Scriptures is a good God and the same God of the New Testament. Therefore, Jesus was fully and truly human. He became like us so we could become like him. Therefore, the, the hope of redemption is resurrection in a renewed heavens, renewed earth. And therefore, in, in this life here and now, all our interactions with matter, all those different aspects of our life are places that we can encounter the fingerprints of God, opportunities to worship him. The, the early Celtic Christians when they talked about worship of God, they talked about keeping your five-string harp in tune. And the five-string harp was our five senses. Hearing, taste, touch, smell, sight. They believed that, that through those physical senses, we could worship, that we could encounter God's fingerprints in this world. Is your five-string harp in tune? When was the last time you really felt texture? What was the last thing you really smelled? Did you ever eat lunch and you couldn't say what it tasted like a few hours later? That, that all our interactions with matter are opportunities to encounter, to bring worship to God. And I wonder if this, this way of seeing the world that we, we, we believe is truly in line with how reality is, if it wouldn't be good news to our culture today, a culture that I think is living increasingly disembodied lives. You know, have you ever driven to work in the dark, spent all day on the computer, and driven home in the dark? Or gone to school in the dark and spent all day looking at screens and gone home in the dark. That there are things about our culture today that, that lead us to live increasingly disembodied lives. And I wonder if, if the, the Christian beliefs of creation, incarnation, this view of 
what it means to be really human wouldn't be good news to our culture today. That when people look at the Jesus community, they might not say, oh, those people, they figured something out about how to really live. I want to look at one more scripture. Would you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1? Ephesians is to the left from 1 John. Ephesians, it's another letter uh, written, this one by a leader in the church named Paul to a group of uh, believers in Ephesus. And here he's talking about God's hope for this world, this cosmos. And it's picking up in verse 8 in chapter 1. Paul writes, With all wisdom and understanding, he, that is God, made known to us, that is, followers of Jesus, he made known the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. So he made known his hopes, where things are going, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment. And then, and then he tells us where God is taking things. And he says this last phrase, listen to this, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. To bring unity to all things. The word there is anakephaleosastai. All right, we're going to say that together. Are you ready? Yeah, you know you're ready. Anakephaleosastai. Anakephaleosastai. To bring unity, to, re to reintegrate, to restore harmony to all things in the cosmos under Christ, that all things, all parts of reality have their destiny, their purpose, their final meaning in relation to Jesus the Messiah. All parts of reality. And that means if that's God's vision for all reality, that's certainly God can do that for all my life, can reintegrate, restore harmony, bring all things under Christ in my life so that, so that these parts of my life, they're not fragmented kind of some things God cares about and other things God doesn't care about. But all of them, that, that in my story, as I, as, I, as I process my life story day after day, God is present there, guiding and walking with me. That as I play soccer and enjoy this body, enjoy this world, that God takes delight in the play that we have in this world. That, that in my family, as I'm a father and a husband, that as I encounter him in those places, that that as I learn his father's heart, that as I, as I learn to love people the way he loves him, uh, the way he loves people, that, that, I, that I'm being shaped by him there. That in, in, in coffee, in the bitterness of coffee, in the warmth of coffee, that, that in feasting, that I realize that all things in our life are good gifts from him. Jesus loved to feast. That in, that in going into the cascades, those magnificent mountains that I thank him for, that those are places to see his fingerprints and worship him for. That, that all, all of my life, that he can reintegrate, restore, he can bring it to get, bring unity to it under Christ. They're not fragmented. Some parts he cares about and other parts he does. All of it comes together. If, God, if God's heart for all things is to bring unity and a kephaleosastai, all things under Christ, what does that mean for your life? 
what, what would it look like for all those different aspects of your life, for them to be reintegrated, to find harmony under Christ, to, to experience them all in relationship to the Son of God? To not experience them as, as some parts God really cares about and some parts he's kind of absent from, to, but to find the way he relates to that all those different aspects of your life that you were thinking of earlier, to find how is it that that finds its fullest meaning, its purpose in relationship to Jesus? How does he desire to fill up that moment as well? What might it feel like to live that kind of life where we don't have these kind of fragmented, disparate parts of our life, but kind of as we go through our days and our weeks and our years, we find this unity in all the different parts of our life under Christ. They all, they fit together under him. What would it be like to be a kind of community that encourages one another in that? That spurs one another on in that? That reminds one another of that? That names that for one another? That Christ desires to bring all things together under him. This morning, for, for some of us, this, this, these, this is going to remind us of things we've known before. And for, for you, I, I hope this is an encouraging reminder. Yeah. Yes, Jesus wants to be in all parts of my life. He has a vision for it. For some of us, this is going to be new. For some of us, we've, we've seen how, how Jesus cares about kind of the spiritual religious parts of our life, but there's been other parts of our life that we haven't quite known how they fit in. If, if that's you this morning, I hope these are words of freedom, of joy for you, of seeing how those other parts, how, how God desires to meet you in those other parts of your life, how he desires to be the end of them. And for some of us this morning, maybe you're here this morning and you, you say, I'm not a follower of Jesus. I, I, you know, I'm just kind of checking this Christianity thing out. For you, I would hope that you see a vision of what it means to follow Jesus that is true. And that if you've been given distorted visions of Christianity that, that feel small and narrow, that, that God only cares about this one segment of your life, I hope that you catch a vision of God's heart for all of life, that you find compelling and that rings true to you. Because we believe this is how human life is meant to be. God is the one who created. God is the one who stepped into human history. And he is the one that all things find their ultimate meaning in. Let's pray. Our Father, Son, Spirit, we... Uh, We, we do. We want to see reality the way you see it. We want, we want truth. And uh, we believe that by walking uh, after you, by seeing the world as you see it, by seeing ourselves as the way you see it, that we uh, will find um, the best possible way to live. And so I pray, I pray for us this morning, and I pray that you, you, God, you know the story of every person in this room and um, the hopes and the, the struggles from the past week. And I pray that you speak the particular word to every person that we need today. Words of encouragement, words of freedom, of joy, that you give us a vision for how you see all of our life. Uh, words of invitation. Spirit, um, come, uh, take up residence here. 
Help us see ourselves in your world the way you do. In your name.